It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Full Fat Podcast. Hello again, you're joining us, and uh, my name's Matt Whittle. And is, is that Twilight Zone intro? Uh, no, it was. Just, I can't with it on the fly. Oh, I thought it was... What was it actually? Because you were clearly reading something from your phone. No, I wasn't reading anything from my phone. Well, they don't know that, do they, Chris? So, you know, you don't have to... No, but, you know, I just thought it was very clear. Was it a Twilight Zone intro? It was a Twilight Zone what intro. What episode yeah. was it from? Uh, I don't know. I just Googled Twilight Zone intro. and then oh, for God's sake. the first one I saw. See, I really like the Twilight Zones. That's really fucking irritating. Because I was going to be like, <laughs> oh, uh, if that's from that episode, maybe we could kick off the discussion with that. <laughs> but no. But we can't, no. Um, I, I will not have the uh, attention span to look through what I was uh, reading and also maintain this level of banter on the podcast so I'll have to check later when we finish recording wait it requires that much effort for you to maintain this level of banter Jesus I mean yeah, like... I mean, I can barely keep a concentration on this podcast I'm so bored oh fair <laughs> enough the sound of your voice <laughs> oh thanks thanks very much man well I guess we'll just uh, I hate you <laughs> don't try it yeah I'll tell you the only one in this situation <laughs> yeah you were older than me weren't you when we met and, yeah exactly whereas, whereas now older. we're the same age yeah, I was going to say that like, <laughs> time is we, compressed yeah. we were older when we first met <laughs> to be fair that is like a Stephen Moffat-esque plot isn't it we uh, or, or would it be a Chris Chibnall plot if we were oh oh I see. oh you've kicked it in straight away oh. Oh, well not yet not yet we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff some other things we've seen but uh, if you're listening to the Full Fat Podcast for the first time. This is the Full Fat Podcast, and uh, it's where me and Chris shoot the shit, as it were. We talk about some things we've seen in the last week, maybe some things we've listened to, and then whilst Doctor Who is on air, we will be discussing it as part of Look Who's Talking, which was something we used to do in video format, and then we decided that Chris was just too ugly for the camera. I mean, um, you, you joke, but I mean, like half the commenters were just like, Matt's so hot, and then I'd comment, like, you know... <laughs> What about me on the full fat account? And it'd just be silence. So I mean, it's not, it's not inaccurate, is it? That's not true. We've had we've had comments before that you know people would do both of us, haven't we? Occasionally, yeah. Um, they've they've swiftly like... been blocked from the account. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Chris, what have you seen or watched or listened to or felt this week? I mean, the uh, big thing for me has been uh, my uh, love-hate relationship with uh, Love Island this week. Uh, I've not which... been uh, catching up. I've not been following. Well, I know you haven't, but uh, I know you saw me when I ca- you came home the other night, and I was sat at home looking pretty miserable at the TV, and I said, I think this might be the first year that I stop watching Love Island. Mm. But then, thankfully, Friday and Saturday's episode kicked it back into gear. So, um, like, the show this year has really struggled with its cast in terms of, like, I don't know, um, it... In most years, it feels like everyone kind of slides into archetypes. I mean, you you did a video on this, so you probably know this better than me. But um, it's felt like there was like a very clear storytelling in the show, and that's what kind of made it kind of a peerless piece of reality TV filmmaking. But this this past series has felt well. This current series has felt like every character is basically the same. Everyone's already kind of settled in relationships, and there's been no real tension. But that all kind of imploded in the past two days. Um, primarily because they've got New Islander Rebecca, who just seems to have been told by the producers to create as much havoc as possible. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so she's basically been stealing people's... Uh, well, she's not actually been stealing, really. She's just been sh- expressing interest in people who other people are interested in. And then, you know, the person that she's interested in is actually interested in her, but then the Islander who's like, oh, but I thought in my head, even though we'd barely spoken, that uh, we'd be together forever and have kids, uh, got annoyed. Uh, so am, am I right in saying that... People were getting annoyed at her for playing the game Love Island on 
Love Island. No, that's pretty much it. That's that's literally it. Is that people seem to have been getting annoyed at her for actually treating it like a game show? They do it every year, though, don't they? There's no. someone going like, "Oh, you're just treating it like a game. Treat it like a game." Well, yes, it is a no, game. But here to win the, money. The difference is <laughs> the difference is this year though. This is the issue. Is that kind of like how do I put this? In most years, it's someone comes in and then actually steals like someone who's in a relationship with someone. This is more like. We went on, you know, Shanice, the Islander, comes back from a date with someone who, mm. by the way, she only went on a date with, not because he chose, but because the public voted for her to go on. And then goes, oh my God, it was like, I'd met my soulmate. And she was talking about like, I just feel like he gets me more than anyone else in the island. And then, you know, they're like, Luke, who do you want to go on a date with? And he goes, Rebecca. And then they get on really well and they blow <laughs> up. But Shanice is suddenly like, Rebecca, I feel like you snaked me because like, I had a plan with Luke T. And like, it was all going so well. Oh yeah, they've so they've done a weird thing where they brought in Connor. So they brought in two Connors, so there's Connor with a G. Which one's the one that's the Justin Bieber lookalike? Oh, I don't know, man. Is that another Connor? There's Luke T and there's Luke M, and one of them's a Justin Bieber lookalike. <laughs> like, he, he's only a Justin Bieber lookalike from the side, though. I actually think he also looks a bit like Zac Efron. He's like, they've both been like melded together into cool, a mess. Oh, he'd well with you, wouldn't he? <laughs> hello, hello, Mr. Connor, hello, Mr. Luke. I think you look like a cross between Zac Efron and Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, is that like, I just think there's no one who's like memeable. Like, last year we had Mora, we had Ovi, the year before we had Georgia. I mean, even mm. last year, I mean, even last year, like, even minor islanders, like, well, not minor, but you know, you have people like Tommy Fury, Curtis for that coffee remark there's been nothing like that and it's been nearly three weeks in the villa mm. and it's just but hopefully we can get something back um, I don't know whether you saw that meme of Shanice's face over the balcony <laughs> oh I did that was quite funny uh, she's the one that referred to herself as Princess Jasmine isn't she yeah um, I, f- I think that's a bit of a red flag that says to me that she's going to be high maintenance and extremely difficult on the show well this is the thing like I thought it was Rebecca said to her something to the effect of like um, look love you've had two weeks in here and you've not clicked with anyone she was like what's that got to do with everything it's like well it's <laughs> quite a lot to what she actually said <laughs> that's the point of the she show said, she meant to say that's irrelevant but she said something like that's irrelevant or something because she uh, uh, couldn't get her words out so she's been memed for that as well amazing um, so what have you been watching Matt oh bad boys for life did I uh, blow the mic out there oh you definitely I'm not going to shout again I promise okay okay no worries <laughs> Chris Chris it is fantastic bad boys for life 2020 2k20 we've started off the year with 2020 vision, because Will Smith and Mr. Martin Lawrence, ladies and gentlemen, they see all. Um, no, but seriously, uh, I've watched um, the first Bad Boys and the second Bad Boys um, in the past week in the lead up to watching Bad Boys for Life. I'd never seen them before, and the first two are kind of fun, kind of trashy. I prefer the first one. The first one's like a proper movie. The second one is literally like an uninterrupted two and a half hour Michael Bay music video, and it starts off ripping off like John Woo movies. And then at the end, it turns into Commando, you know, the Schwarzenegger. Um, and they, like, travel to Cuba and they start, like, firing rocket launchers and fighting, like, a, an army and whatever. It's uh, it's pretty mental. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the Bad Boys for Life is stylized with a four, right? No, no, no. And yet it's the third in the franchise? No, no, no. It's just is it for, not stylized just, with a four? No, it's just for life. Oh, so I've been thinking that it was, like, um, like Bad Boys for life, do you no, know what I mean? No, like, because no, no, I was like, no, they've really no. missed an opportunity there to like put the number four in the title. Well, I think there was a feeling that this would be because because basically, from what I understand, fans of the first two have wanted this third one for years. So this was meant to like cap off a trilogy. That's why it's called like for life. And it ties into their mantra, you know. We ride together, we die together. Bad boys for life. I mean, it sounds like it's literally just Furious Seven from what you're telling me right now. Um, for me, it gave me the feeling that Furious Seven gave me of this is ridiculous, but I'm also loving it. It's fun there's a bit of comedy in there this is more of a straight up action comedy though um than fury 7 fury 7 is more like funny because it's ridiculous whereas this was actually meant to be funny 
Um, but honestly, I was I was really shocked at the quality of it. They've really stepped it up in terms of not just the action, because I, I was thinking, you know, Will Smith and that, they're not trained, they're not going to be giving us John Wick shit. They give us a bit of John Wick shit. Um, Will Smith's doing, like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's, like, excellent, immaculate framing where you can see everything that's going on. Um, there's some great car chases. There's a great bit where Will Smith is on a bike and Mike Lawrence is in a sidecar with a machine gun. Um, and uh, the story's actually pretty decent as well. And for once, basically, my main problem with the first two, um, which I've just, like, kind of freshly, they're still fresh in my mind, is um, Will Smith's character, Mike Lowry, he's not a character. He's, like, the ultimate alpha male. Every girl's, like, tripping over him. And, you know, he just, he, he's, he's got a trust fund from his dad that he left him. And he has, like, a fancy apartment. And he just, um, he just fights crime because he loves the danger. <laughs> like, he's that sort of character. And then Martin Lawrence is, like, the comedy relief. He's got a family. And so like, the whole joke in the first one is like he can't get any time to have sex with his wife. Is that sort of movie? Do you know what I mean, it came out in 1995. Right. Okay. Um, I see. I mean, that does sound fairly dated. It sounds like yeah. it sounds like very much like a lot of the other comedies of that kind of era, like things like Rush Hour and things like that. It is like, very similar. The first two are like super hyper masculine in some places, bordering on misogyny, kind of kind of right. territory. And this one, I felt like it 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 broke down what it means. To, to have those traits and it gave both characters proper internal conflict they were challenged and you know a lot of that kind of like their bullshit was challenged as well and you just kind of sat there in the first half an hour of this movie thinking oh my god like Mike Lowry's now a character I won't spoil what happens but um, he gets he, he, he goes through the ringer shall we say um, and then from there it's it's really tightly paced there's actual consequences to things um, in the story. Uh, again, it's hard without me spoiling too much, but there's the, the unexpected things happen. Um, it's just a really fun thrill ride. Like I gave it four stars on Letterboxd. Oh wow! I mean, a, a hallmark of quality. <laughs> I, mean, to... I mean, I mean, I've gotten to being quite harsh on Letterboxd, and I thought about it. I was like, four stars, really? Like, but no, you know what? It, it deserves it because there's not you, anything I would have done differently. Can you give Little Women three and a half stars? And that's that's uh... up for an Oscar. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just, I'm just trying. To, so, would I'm you say sure Bad Boys for Life is better than Little Women, or on par with Little Women? No, or... well, to me, I always do the um, the Roger Ebert thing of like within the genre, did it set out to do what it was going to? I mean, I think it was you that said to me, isn't it Roger Ebert when he's watching like Hellboy, for example, he doesn't compare it to, you know, uh, when Harry Met Sally, he compares it to Superman the movie and Spider Man Two because they're like the benchmarks. Yeah, and that's that's. I think he was quizzed on why he gave um, Beethoven, uh, Beethoven two or something like a doggy. Day. I can't remember what the film's called. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. it's one of them like the equivalent of, like Beverly Hills Trial. I can give it three and a half stars. People are like, what are you doing, Roger? And he was like, well, I'm no. Everyone wants to know if it's as good as Babe Pig in the City, not like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that makes sense to me. Um, and in terms of other action comedies um, from recent years, I think it's one of the better ones. I would probably I probably haven't laughed this much intentionally at something since maybe Twenty Two Jump Street. Really? Is yeah, it that tone? I think I think I've, it's not that tone necessarily. It, it, it's more serious than that. But like in terms of um, my feelings in the cinema whilst watching it, in terms of how, how much I laughed and how much I was like, "Oh my god, that was fucking sick!" Um, because there's some there's some sweet action in this. Um, and yeah, no, I, I'm I'm converted. I'm a bad boys for lifer. So if they make another one, this one kind of ends on a on a final note. But I've seen rumblings from Sony that. They could be making another. Oh, one. I mean, come on! If it does well at the box office, which it has done, which I'm really happy about, because it's not a superhero movie or a Star War. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it was a shame when Terminator didn't do too well at the box office. By that same token, do you know what I mean? It's just I think nice it is a shame, franchise. but then also, 
like they didn't they didn't market that very well. The trailers sucked and. You know, it, it was okay. No, because you went into that thinking it was going to be an absolute train wreck, and you say it was the best one since two. Like, not as good. It as It is two, the best but... one since two, but I mean, what is that really saying anymore? I mean, I mean I'd I... like to quite quite like to do a video on it eventually. Can I be really honest? I actually quite like Rise of the Machines. Oh uh, so... uh, yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a good guilty pleasure. Um, but I'm just fascinated by how many times they've tried to make a Terminator three. It's a bit like Eminem albums, isn't it? Like um, ever since uh, Encore dropped, he's like this new one. This is my comeback. I think he's on like, let me think. Um, I think he's on about five or six albums now. Where he's like, disregard all the other comeback albums I've done. This, this is going to be the one that everyone's going to go. Oh, he's still got it. Yeah, no, it's his sixth album he dropped recently, and the whole album is just about how he's still got it and like fuck well, all the not, critics. Are you not confident he's still got it after the release of Venom? Um, I mean, that was probably his best track in ten years. Do you not like the references to Sad Bowls and Edgar Allan Poe? No, I didn't. I'm too busy <laughs> reeling at the line on his new album, which is what's called "Music to Be Murdered To" or something ridiculous. Um, yeah, does he reference like the Manchester bombing and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there's that monstrosity, but there's also the appalling line, "Like a liar's pants, I'm on fire," <laughs> which, like. I mean, if that doesn't sign, he once made a song, you know, dissing another rapper, where the chorus was, "No one wants to hear their grandfather rap." And it feels like there's a self-fulfilling prophecy here that yeah. now he's... Uh... It's like what Quentin Tarantino says about getting out of the directing game, isn't it? Like, Eminem's no longer cool now, is he? He's I'd, too old. I'd kind of want to see it. Like, imagine Tarantino was like an eight-year-old man like Scorsese, though, making a making a. No, but combat. I get what Tarantino's saying in the sense that, you know, it's a young man's game. Scorsese is the exception to the rule. No, I, mean, I guess as well. The exception that proves the rule. And, you know, um, as much as I'd you know like to see it I imagine like watching Tarantino's equivalent of the Irishman you know with Uma Thurman's feet having the ageing process mm. on might you know be a bit strange to watch in uh, 30 years or um, so Chris I've had a spark of genius right what about the Venom song but instead it's Scorsese you ready Scorsese it's not even the same number of syllables it's similar I think I've got something there uh, I think, you know what, you upload that onto Bandcamp, you release that. Well, I mean, it'd be better than some of the stuff that's on Bandcamp, wouldn't it, in SoundCloud? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not about to rat on anyone, don't worry. <laughs> Wait, my Cloud Rap album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got <laughs> my SoundCloud mix, isn't it? Um, but yeah, uh, we went off on a few tangents there, but yeah, Bad Boys for Life, um, if you like the first two, I think you'd like this one. It's It's got a lot of kick-ass action, and you know, it doesn't quite have that Michael Bay style, it's not quite as bombastic but mm. I think the story is much better in this one and as I said they feel like proper characters and I had a good time had a laugh so I would definitely check it out if you are planning to or if maybe you needed to be swayed after the first two I mean my impression of you uh, watching Bad Boys was that you were having a laugh <laughs> I think we've had an office reference in nearly every one of these podcasts haven't we so I was just trying to keep it up I'm not sure I think we have shouldn't have to <laughs> there we go I've done it I've hit the quota sometimes uh, office references sometimes styles references different references for different podcast episodes bit clunky that one yeah I mean like no worse <laughs> no worse than mine so <laughs> so um, oh. speaking of the office um, I don't know how to segue so let's just uh, go to Doctor Who <laughs> how was that was that good was uh, that... is it just me and uh, feel free to disagree I feel like we're, we're lagging a bit today I is it because it's Monday? Someone's got a bad case of the Mondays. No, I think it's... In all honesty, I think it's because uh, I've got this cold that's going around at the moment. Yeah. Like, no, nothing too serious. I can feel like it it's... brewing in my throat. It's going gonna, it's gonna to erupt. 
any day now. You've had that same more graphic. Like, I was imagining you getting like chest bursted by saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can feel it brewing. <laughs> did you say that was awesome? Maybe this is the final full fat podcast. <laughs> what? You get chest bursted by a xenomorph. Well, that'd be a pretty cool way to end the uh, channel. Well, you know what? It would come for you first, wouldn't it? Because your room's next to mine. So no, but you're, you're fucking dead, mate. No, 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 but it might not come for me. It might just um, it might see me and then. It'll recognise that a part of my DNA's in it. Um, that's the plot of uh, Resurrection, isn't it? Like, it's like... Uh, it yeah, gets, oh, no, it's Alien 3, isn't it, where that happens? It, like, recognises that they've put a bit of DNA in her. Because that's... Isn't that the plot of Alien 3, is that they've in, Ripley has got, like, an egg in her, hasn't she? The plot of Alien 3 is the characters that you loved from Aliens, all but Ripley, are killed off uh, unceremoniously. Um... And then she ends up on this prison planet. Is that Fury 191 or 161 or something like that? And then um, she discovers that there's an alien queen egg inside of her that's going to chest burst. So like, her time's running out. And she's trying to find a way to basically not die. Or and then she kills... No, she's, she, maybe she, she's resided to her fate. I can't remember. It's been ages since I've seen and it. And she's trying to stop the alien, that's all. But she throws herself into the... Um, yeah, into yeah, the, yeah. In a weird ending that's quite similar to Terminator 2, actually. <laughs> I guess so, a little bit. Yeah, Even she though jumps it, into the fire, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then... Yeah, she's been hunted by a single alien again, isn't it? And it bursts out of a dog, so it's got more like... I can't remember, is it called The Runner? It just like feels that? like it's it just feels like it's derivative of so many other films. Like it bursts out the dog, that reminds me of the thing, you know, when um that yeah. happens. And then as I say, like T two and like there's so many just like it's such a weird mesh. Um, I mean we've always said we'd have loved to have seen the planet of wood that was the original planet. Yeah, I mean there were so many different versions of it. You know there's a version um with Michael Bean as the lead, because they weren't sure if Ripley was gonna come back. Really? And from what I understand, um there's an audible it sounds like we're plugging audible here. Um there's an audible version um, of that script like you can listen to really yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I've been meaning to listen to it I mean oddly enough uh, speaking of scripts I actually spent um, today um, on and off uh, reading uh, the script for the social network um, just to remind oh, really? me of how much of a perfect perfect script it is I, uh, I want uh, a second movie do you? <laughs> need to do it. well after yeah everything, everything evil Mr Zuckerberg's been up to can we say that online? <laughs> I guess, uh, he'll probably shut it down won't he? <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's pound for pound the best script I've ever read like it's not necessarily like, the best movie I've ever seen I mean it does sit in the top what about that time. script I sent you in our first year at uni that was five pages long called Scars Scars? oh yeah. I like Scars <laughs> uh, basically um, Matt sent me a script that was essentially unfilmable given that we were 18 about like <laughs> time travel and like things exploding and stuff like that back when he didn't really know me and I was in charge of the budget for the student TV station and I had to politely decline it not because I didn't like it but because it was like written by someone who was like I have no concept of budget so of course we'll blow up a building <laughs> on the student TV there station was nothing that, that big in it there was just a guy that was it had like time travel self. like, psh, yeah, yeah, and, like yeah. loads of like gunfights and stuff and I was it like well, gunfights in it yeah. I, I tell a lie it wasn't five pages was it we couldn't have crammed all that into five I pages I think it was about seven pages it was a weird number you know like when you're first writing scripts and you don't know yeah, structure yeah. it was basically like two scenes or yeah. whatever, yeah. but it's weird but you did know structure but it's just like those weird lengths that you do like some of your other scripts where they were like 11 pages and you're just like you would just never write an 11 page script now would you probably not. do you know what I mean like you would never yeah. think this is going to be a half an hour drama 11 pages do you, yeah. know, do you know what I'm saying like it's like weird it's this weird kind of I like experimenting with length, though. That sounds uh, suspect. Yeah, yeah it, it? Does. <laughs> it does. Strange, isn't it? We'll uh, we'll edit that out later. No, we won't. <laughs> it sounds like your Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Chris. Do I make you horny? Do I make you randy? Do I? <laughs> I am killing for Austin Powers four. Oh man. I would love it. I would love it. You know, I still think the best gag in the whole franchise is, and I still is to this day when I'm crossing a road, mm. you know, when they're like steamrollers coming towards him. <laughs> and he's like, no! 
yeah, and I suppose yeah. he's just like move out the way and he's got plenty of time and he's just going oh <laughs> and doesn't he die that it cuts to like his family yeah cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a like early 2000s Film is oh, it? Oh yeah, like, yeah. Well, wait, no, it's the first one, isn't it? No, it's about nineteen ninety nine, I think, International Man of Mystery. Is it? And then the spy who the spy who shagged me. me. Um, and they we can't, can't, can't say shagged on the podcast. You've said like fuck like several times. Yeah, but shags are lying out on a cross. Oh, there we go. I've done it. Yeah, well, didn't you say shagadelic baby? No, that's, you're putting words in my mouth. No, I think it's 1997, um, International Man of Mystery. Uh, so, okay. But, like, it's very of its time. I mean, I remember it's, it's it's of the same time of I had it in a box set that you you know those things that don't really exist anymore, where it's like exactly what you're five about. comedies, mm, and like, yeah. they just don't exist anymore. <laughs> and it was like, International Man of Mystery, Rat Race, There's Something About Mary, Nine Mumps, which I've never watched, because why would I? Who's and um, Hugh Grant. And, like, these are all, <laughs> and the other one is, like, Meet the Parents. So these are all, like, raunchy, like, big, like, game-changing films. Not game-changing. Would you say you know, Meet the Parents is game-changing? <laughs> no, but they're like big temple comedies <laughs> of the early 2000s. The game-changing like, classic, yeah. Meet the Parents. Hey, it's got De Niro in. It's a quality It's a quality film. Really? Would you say that De Niro is a hallmark quality? Um, yeah. All right, well, I could list you off a few films that he's done that aren't very good. Go on. Um, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, The King of Comedy. And I'm joking... <laughs> Please, don't smite me. They're all fucking great. You sound like a guy who really likes Joker. That's what you sound oh, like right now. Fuck me. Um, no, I like um, I like all those movies, but I do not like Dirty Grandpa, The Intern, Little Fockers, or Joker. Oh, Little Fockers is appalling. It's awful, isn't I it? really like Meet the Fockers as well. I think it's, I like I think it's just yeah, as yeah. funny as the original. Yeah, and yeah. I really like the original. Yeah. That's actually my mum's favourite film. I Isn't think. Meet the Fockers where he thinks he has a uh, a son? Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> and it, it turns is. out he's, his father's actually like a baseball star and they zoom in on the like poor Photoshop they've done at Ben Stiller as like a baseball <laughs> yeah, like, it's star. Like, yeah. <laughs> is that where you find out where I don't... F- Am I wrong? I think in Meet the Fockers. No, no, he finds out his first name's Gaylord in Meet the Parents, definitely. Yeah, what a dated um, joke now. What oh Gaylord Fucker. Isn't the second one the one where he's like, uh, he gets injected with truth serum and then he's like up on stage and he's like, is he saying something about he masturbated to Pam's mum or something like yeah, that? Yeah, because I think... Me- or he's like, oh, when when they, they say that that's what a woman will look like when they get older, they look like their mum, and if uh, if that's what's going to happen, then I'm a-looking and I'm a-liking. Yeah, that everyone's awesome. like horrified at the dinner, obviously. Because Meet the Parents is just someone else in the family's getting married, and he's just coming around for the first time, and then he proposes to her like near the end, doesn't he? And then in Meet the Fockers, it's their wedding, and then they're coming to like meet his parents. I think... Yeah. I've not seen them in so long. I've def- I mean, I've seen Meet the Parents quite a few times, but Meet the Fockers I've not seen in so long, but I believe... He's that's their wedding. I'd quite like to watch them at Christmas. They feel like Christmassy movies to me. They're, they're, they're quite. Uh, is it Thanksgiving? Why, when is he coming around in the original? I'm it might actually sure. be Christmas. I've not seen the original. I've got nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? <laughs> Where's little cat Geppetto? <laughs> Do you think you could milk the following animals? Giraffe. No. Rhino. No. Jadoon. Was that your segue? Well, it's better than uh, office reference. Uh, don't have one, actually. Uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> Was that an impression of my voice? Why do I sound like Christopher Eccleston? 
Talking about Heaton Park. Can I just say, Heaton Park is quite nice. I, I, I'll, I'll get it turns uh... round and shits on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Uh, otherwise, I'll talk about Bad Boys for Life for another night. Yeah, you will. <laughs> uh, please go see it. It's great. Um, Fugitive of the Jadoon, episode 5 of series 12. We're now at the 50% mark. Chris, what did you think? Uh, I'm going to go out there and say I actually thought it was the best of the series. Ever? Better than uh, Revelation of the Daleks? No, the best of series 12. <laughs> and also, re- that's your 10-point standard, that Peter Davidson... Uh... Yeah, your favourite Doctor. <sighs> See, you make it sound like either I do love Peter Davidson, which I don't, or I really hate him, which I don't. I'm just sort of really indifferent well, to Peter Davidson. you're the one saying this stuff. I didn't say any of this. No, I'm saying that's what you're inferring. You know well, what I mean? Fine. I, I, I don't actually, think I was. I must say that Revelation of the Daleks is actually one of my favourite Peter Davidson stories. Um, do you want to talk about that instead? Of Lame. It's a good story. <laughs> Tegan leaves. Tegan leaves. Quite emotionally. So it's one of the few. It's actually a bit. The ending of it is a bit like Kill the Moon. Except imagine if Clara's just like I'm out and just walks off. I see. I so see. it's actually it's it, you know for the time it's actually quite it's 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 got some mm. cool emotional beats to it. It's the second best Davidson companion exit behind Adric. My favorite one's the one with the licorice men. That's not Peter. The Davidson. candy dimension. The candy no, man. It's not, no, it's not Peter. The Davidson. candy man. Uh, is it the Candyman? The Candyman. Yeah, the Happiness Patrol. Is That's it. The Happiness Patrol. Yeah, what a crock of shit. But the villain's got the. Can- you know that episode gets reappraised now. It's like a scathing satire. Like people actually quite like the Happiness Patrol now. Looks. Uh, the best. The best Sylvester McCoy story. Greatest show in the galaxy. Do you know that one? Oh, you ain't seen that nothing yet. Gods of Ragnarok. He just does magic tricks. It's pretty. It's pretty fun. It's quite doctory to stall by doing some amateur magic. <laughs> magic tricks that aren't good. Um, what did you think of? today other than that it was best in the series um, yeah. you meant series 12 series yeah. 12 yeah I think I think it just did Spyfall for me not by a lot like it, it, it's it's hard because I really really enjoyed it I enjoyed the pacing there was so much of it that I'm going whoa mm. whoa the fact that Captain Jack coming back wasn't the most interesting I thing in the episode I cannot believe that was kept under wraps but I can't believe that it's barely that interesting relative to the rest of the episode mm. And like it's probably. Well, the... I think they did that strategically, didn't they? They they revealed Jack early on in the episode, so you're like, oh, that was our big reveal for the episode. Now the story's going to kick in, and then no, no, the whole thing's building exactly. up to a second reveal. And the fact that he never even got to interact with the Doctor, I almost quite liked because you thought the whole thing was just going to crescendo with Jack, but actually Jack was just tangential. It felt very much like you know in um like episodic shows like long arc shows like things like Heroes or Breaking Bad or anything like mm. that, where it's a long, long um, list and. They'll have an action episode, so like in Breaking Out, they might show you something like Salad, where there's a lot, a lot going on all at once. But they almost, they also have episodes like Bit by... I haven't seen that one. Have you not seen Salad? No. In Breaking Bad? I've seen it in Breaking Bad, I haven't seen it in Breaking Out. Did I say Breaking Out? Yeah, I've seen it in Way of the Dragon, not I actually can't believe I said Breaking Out. Okay, Breaking Bad. Um, I was trying to be the IT guy. I I know you were. But, um... Yeah, you have episodes like Salud, which are like, go, 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 action, action, action. And then you have episodes like Bit by Dead Bean, series two, which literally exists to like extend the arc. And I felt like this, in many ways, it wasn't, it was, it reminded me a bit, and I, I, I don't like this story, so I feel silly comparing it, but it reminded me a bit of Name of the Doctor, in that there wasn't much of a plot. It was more like things were happening, but it sustained my attention. It was very exciting. But for me, it's very hard to place because I really enjoyed it. And I think for the moment it's the best of the series. But my worry is, is that if everything that it sets up goes to shit, would I watch it again? Probably not, because I'm watching it with a view of, well, that never came to anything. Well, that was disappointing. I agree. I think the series as a whole, I think it's a good time to talk about the series as a whole, because this is pushing the whole arc forward. 
has been way better than I could have anticipated. But some of the reveals which happened in this episode could easily go to pot. I mean, we should just talk about the fact that there's another Doctor. Yeah. Played by Joe Martin. Um, it feels like it was... I mean, did you did you guess before it happened? Um, I guess you know what you know what was a big giveaway when yeah. you put the clues together. Why did they? Why was the first shot of the episode a bloody watch? Yeah, for like thirty yeah. seconds, and I thought, all right, I knew straight away because you know, like it's just classic Doctor Who. Of course, he wasn't the fugitive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that was just obvious, wasn't yeah. it? I'm turning myself. I was like, the second he was like in control I was like he's not the fugitive because otherwise we've got no story I also thought it was a big red flag when as, as to it being like uh, a la human nature the chameleon arc when she scanned both of them and she was like oh they're human yeah like, well I they could be hiding as time lords I didn't think she was going to be the doctor but I did think they were time lords mm. because just did you just... worry when she pulled the gun out after she'd like you know absorbed the, the energy that she was going to be like the Rani or something yeah I really did um, I mean I it's funny actually I was having this conversation um, the other day mm. I kind of feel now that we've had a female master, oh, these classic Who fans are going to hate me for this. I kind of feel like now that we've had a female master, the Rani's kind of redundant because for me, the Rani is just a female master. There's not really anything different to her. Well, I guess that was her purpose in classic because they weren't yeah. swapping genders, were they? But now that they do, maybe there's a new place for her in, in, in some other way. I just don't think context. she needs to. I mean, she's in two stories in the actual TV show. And they're both not very good stories, so I don't really feel... No. I feel like she's only iconic because she's, like, the female master, but, like, I have no interest in having her back, so having something like that, or, you know, it'd be... I'm do, you think it's a, do you think it's a bit reductive to be, like, oh, she's the female equivalent of this thing? Like, maybe she came back, she'd be... Yeah, she... Her, her own character she, is something interesting she in could, right. She could be. I just think, like, my concern with bringing her back is, is that it would just be a pie-end to classic and i don't think she was ever really a very developed character right. on the show so there is ground to make her interesting i'm not mm. saying that and i would just be like oh, you know what i mean i'm not one of those people what i'm more saying is that like her place in the universe like she was quite a reductive character it was just like what if we reskin the master as a, a woman but we don't have the you know the gumption to actually make the master a woman so let's just it'd be the equivalent of creating like there's no way they ever done that in classic no that, that's that's what i'm saying so for me now the ronnie's place in the universe is kind of weird because if you brought her back what would you do to differentiate her from the master because she is mm. she is a reskin yeah you know that's that's more what i mean it's like it would be difficult for me to get hyped about the ronnie coming back because i would think what what's her purpose now in the broader universe mm. when her backstory it's so it's it's so similar and the fact that the master and the ronnie have like worked together and things like that like it There's just definitely a, a thirst from fans i feel for more time lord characters though isn't there yeah that would be the only reason to bring her back but why does it have to be a ronnie why not just at that point give us something i almost feel like linking her to the ronnie mm. might be a bit lazy v giving us a really awesome time lord for oh, i would love to see who? the corsair I always thought that character seemed very interesting. Yeah. Even though it was only like mentioned to like what? A, That's few, a, few, a few throwaway references in Doctor's Wife. I mean, all the things that they talk <clears> about um, when he's referring to the time law war and things like that mm. that sound interesting yeah you know that's that's what i'm saying like there's there's more scope for me for the kind of things that they've laid or like the curator and things like that like their characters i would rather yeah. see than the ronnie isn't there a, a nightmare child in the time war yes it's interesting that there's now a timeless child isn't it i yeah i mean i'm curious what that means um, i mean you know there's so much. There's so many plates spinning at the moment. Yeah, you know, to, to Chibnall's credit, though, we're allegedly. I don't. You know, this isn't confirmed, but we're allegedly yeah. getting Cybermen in the eighth story of the episode. I feel like the fact Jack references it 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that people are under the impression at the moment that the eighth episode concerns the Cybermen and that it may be set with Mary Shelley. But what interests me is that if Jack's saying that and that is episode eight, mm. does this mean that because of that? Because why would you introduce... I mean, maybe this is Chibnall's way of doing it. We've not seen this in Doctor Who before. It'd be quite cool to just seed in a story that's coming in a couple of weeks that has no tangent-like layer to the greater arc. But it speaks to me that this could be like a three-parter finale rather yeah. than a two-part finale. I mean... It- even the way it's worked so far, it's felt more arc-heavy akin to something like Series 6. I mean, we had the two-part opening, didn't we? We've had two standalone adventures, but they've kind of fed in terms of, uh, you know, the companions' mistrust of the Doctor, and now we've come straight back in with another arc episode. No, completely. And obviously, last, the, the next episode leads in at the end of this one. Maybe we'll have a bit more connected tissue there. Who knows? And then from there, it's only two more standalone episodes to the two-part finale, isn't it? So... Well, they've just announced the name of... Um, they've just announced the name of the seventh episode of the show, which is Can You Hear Me? Oh, that's with that old guy in the TARDIS, isn't it? Allegedly, yeah, but they're not really giving anything away yet. people think he could be like the Black Guardian. Or and like people were thinking that, but I feel like it'd be weird to bring him back in time for the finale. If you know what I mean, like, it would feel weird to go kind of like... Um, oh, we brought back this classic villain who's like epic and big. Mm. It'd be like bringing back Omega for like a one episode stint. It doesn't but make do any sense to me. you not think this whole series has been about like making the most incredible reveals, things that you wouldn't think you'd crown into one season? Yeah. So, and, and also there's been a big focus on Gallifrey, different Time Lords. I wouldn't be that surprised. And also we don't know what Chibnall's limits are yet. Like I feel like under Moffat, after a few years had passed, you'd know... He's not going to do this, he's not going to do that. I don't think it'll be this twist, etc. Whereas Chibnall, we still don't know. He could just go completely nuts. I mean, I do think it's actually very, very kind of interesting. That I think this is the only pure arc episode I can think of in New Who. Like, there have been episodes like Gridlock, for example, in Series 3, that mm. you are not alone, but that's just more an end card to a story. This is the first time in a very long while that we've just had... I think the last story episode we had like this, to be fair, was probably Extremis, which was more about building and building and building but that wasn't really for a series arc this is such I a suppose. weird it's like an X-Files mythology episode this right it's it's. do you not think something like Utopia kind of fills that but that's that near feeling. the finale that's what I'm saying this is weird to place suppose, it in the middle of the yeah. series this is what I mean like it's weird to have a mid-series arc episode this is the kind of thing that you would do in a longer form American drama it feels drama. like in the RTD era this story would have been the first part of the two-part finale that's or the or or utopia's equivalent yeah, yeah. what's interesting to me is is that then if we get this cyberman story and jack's warned about the cybermen i am mm. um, can you hear me could be a reference to that's what whitaker sh- is sh- i think is shouted to her when they're in the other realm um you know in spyfall the at uh, the like the, yes, i'm gonna call it the upside yes, down if yes. it's not that's what she shouts um to out into the ether like can you hear me can anyone hear me I'm curious then whether this is also a arc episode as well because next week I think it's called Praxis next week's mm. um, Praxis you're wondering if it, spy- if it ties into the spies from the kind of because it's talking about being in free locations and it's that one that we've seen re- that shot we've seen repeatedly in all the trailers of Jodie Whittaker running towards a body on the beach mm. um, it's the bat one next week again another thing we've seen and you know what like the two episodes along with this that were spotlighted in the trailer a lot were Spy 4 and um, Fugitive of the Jadoon. And both of these had shots that we thought we knew the context for and didn't, a la them all walking out the TARDIS and Sasha Dewan being edited out. Yeah. And you seeing Graham in that other realm thinking he'd been teleported somewhere and that's Jack's ship. So I wouldn't be surprised given that this one has had a lot of trailer highlighting. It's very interesting, this is isn't it? 
By the way, Jack's ship, crappy production values, wasn't it? It's obviously just a console in like a cathedral or something. I mean, I take that as a necessity of hiding his uh, hiding yeah, his identity. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, they did have to. I, I to his to his credit, apart from what you called a boomer moment hours before the episode, there would have been no way to guess. It. I know a few dots. Oh, when were John Barrowman retweeted it, didn't he? Before yeah. it came out, yeah, that was silly of him, wasn't a it? A few <laughs> a few people were guessing he'd be back, but I also saw him as like Chloe Webber was back and stuff. So it's the equivalent of like. How do I put it? There's, there was no substance behind the Jack rumours beyond. No. Wouldn't it be cool if Jack was back? Also, people have been saying in multiple episodes for the last... It's, it's been literally 10 years yeah. since he was last on the main show. Um, oh, Jack might be back in this episode. Um, but the only thing that does worry me is I rewatched it on the commute back before we did the podcast. And I did notice after his sort of his scenes are done, he says he will see the Doctor, just not soon. And obviously they kept it under wraps by filming in one location with a handful of actors. That's how they preserve that surprise. So I'm starting to wonder if maybe he doesn't crop up in the rest of this season and maybe he'll come back next year. I mean... Because that, that would be a, how you'd keep it under wraps, wouldn't it? I mean, I start to get more and more the feeling that he is playing a longer game. And I don't... I Chimney. don't... Yeah, I don't foresee everything that we've seen this series. If anything, I feel like my prediction for this finale is it's going to open up another can of worms. A bit like the Series 5 finale resolves a lot of the plot strands, but then you're straight mm. into, what is the silence when his TARDIS gets taken over and stuff? I'm, I'm very... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that's what's going to happen now. It's starting to feel like a different show than what we got before under Moffat and RTD in a good way, because now I'm starting to, to pivot, as you say, towards maybe this five-year plan is legit, maybe everything we set up last year and that's feeding into this year is going to go into next year um, in a way that we didn't quite get with the previous showrunners. I mean, we've talked about it before um, in person. I don't think we've talked about it on this podcast. The more and more I watch this series, the more I'm starting to think that Chibnall was under a lot of constraints in series 11 to kind of take it back to basics and maybe that hampered him. Whereas this series, if anything, this is almost the opposite. This is maximalism and it's not necessarily at its finest. The flaws are almost too much going on. When there's flaws, it's that there's a hundred ideas being thrown at the wall. Whereas in series 11, it was like one shit Mm, idea being stretched for 50 minutes. And I don't know, like there's there's no way to definitively know this until maybe we'll get a writer's tale from Chibnall in like 10 years. But it feels to me like there was a lot of constraint and pressure with with, with series 11 of going back to basics. And I think that's been very clear with this in that he tried to make that he made the doctor impenetrable and lovely and almost un, unlikable to a point that it was kind of she had no personality. Yeah. This series has gone far and wide to make her really unpredictable. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean that bit in this episode where Ryan was like, "Oh, come on, we know you." And she was like, "I've had so many faces. I've lived for so long, you don't know me." And then for the companions to hit back with like, "No, well we do." Um that was that was a great moment. Also, it's building on their characters. I feel like they've legitimised themselves as like a really strong TARDIS team. I would like to see them go into the next series. And I wasn't saying that at the end of Series 11. I probably could have no. taken or leaving. Taken or leaving. <laughs> uh, I probably could have... Uh... I probably could take or leave the Series 11 TARDIS team. But I think I think that's the thing, like, as well, I know there's been some criticism about, like, sort of, like, underdevelopment. And I do think there's underdevelopment in some of the characters. Like, I don't feel like Graham's had a lot to do this year, necessarily, for example. Although I'm now loving this running joke of people thinking he's the Doctor. Yeah, been, yeah, yeah. But, like, like Jack, because of course he would be. Also, I... I just knew Jack was going to be great. Doesn't he say a line like, oh, yeah, a little bit great. Still still sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it felt, I mean, what, what I think really stood out here is that although obviously RTD was the showrunner when Jack was on Doctor Who and obviously Moffat created 
Captain Jack with RTD and mm. the Empty Child. I think it's very clear that you know Chibnall had such a presence on Torchwood, mm. and I think when we look at the writing credits for this episode, which are Vinay Patel and um, Chris Chibnall, I think it's very clear to me that that Chris Chibnall's hand in this was writing the Jack scenes because it mm. feels like the Jack we've seen in Torchwood, and I think to me, like it feels like very like he's not being just written in a cameo where you know sometimes when characters get brought back and they just particularly I mean this was by the same writer but Rose in series 4 for example just doesn't mm. feel like Rose no. this just felt like we just picked up exactly where we left in off in the same outfit same haircut doesn't look like he's aged a day I'm sure if we actually put comparisons between oh yeah Dead of Time and this he would have aged but he, he looks timeless um, and he was, it was just a lot of fun to see him again wasn't it no I honestly I, I, I have so few complaints with this episode I think what it does more is just open up a can of um, worms to things. It's it's fascinating to me this angle that they're going with Jenny Whitaker because I love I've always loved the idea that the Doctor's unpredictable. I've always loved the most alien moments of the character, mm. and so it's 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 really fascinating to me that they're really going down this line of. And we said this in. I'm so almost glad that we were right here. Not because I'm glad that we were right because oh we're correct, but more <laughs> that I'm happy that this has turned out. But it seems yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> but it seems the angle they're going with is can the companions trust the Doctor? Is she who she says she is? Mm. Is she unpredictable? I loved the opening that was just seeded in that she's just been like ignoring them for a bit because she's looking for the master. Yeah, that what was cool, great. What a cool way to sew that in. And like, you know, in Orphan 55, an episode obviously you liked, I didn't like a lot, but the fact that they were like, you've been a bit moody. Mm. Love that. Like, and they've she's just got been... a purpose now, hasn't she? Yeah. And also, you are right. It's so cool to think that when the romps end, like when the Night of Terror ended last week, she said goodbye to her companions and she went and just sat and l- lamented on the destruction of Gallifrey yeah. on that hill. Um, could I make the case to you, Mr. Crystal Cell, that the Doctor we see, played by Joe Martin, I think you'll agree with me, is a parallel Earth Doctor. I mean, we've had this discussion. Mm. We've been having this discussion all day, mm. really, haven't we? I am I am now 90% on this. I, I would be shocked if she isn't an alternate universe Doctor because it would seem like the easiest thing in the world and also the worst thing to happen from a story perspective for Jodie to immediately be like, oh, well, she must be from my past. And for this other doctor to be like, yeah, you must be from my past. And for her just to sort of run with it by the end of the episode and be thinking, oh, well, how can that all fit together? The fact that they don't recognise each other, but they still have all the same you know, idiosyncrasies says to me that she's from a parallel Earth. Also... She does things that I don't think the Doctor would do. I know the Doctor can do some bad things, but, for example, the uh, the companion, he spends his entire life looking after her, doesn't he, like Martha, except he marries her, he's clearly, he's clearly wildly in love with her, and then he dies, and then when she becomes the Doctor again, there's not a single moment where she's like, oh, my companion's dead, indicating that she does not give a shit about him. Which is not doctory at all, is it? No. And then I think the big, the biggest thing, obviously, is she's using a gun, isn't she? And she's working for the Time Lords. Yeah. She's, she's a contract worker. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of evidence building up to this. Um, I mean, particularly, I've not been one of these people who has said, how has the Sasha Dewan Master come about? Because actually, it was never really addressed how the Master escaped the Vortex at the no, end, no, of, the end it's of time. A, it's a given he comes back yeah, eventually. I don't care. But, that being said, he was in contact with some beings... Um, the Kasavin from a parallel universe mm. so it's been established Mm-mm. what I think the giveaway for me is and as I say like Chibnall didn't do this in series 11 but from Broadchurch he's very good at laying ground for things and bringing it to the forefront episodes later in Spyfall they were looking at that map and she originally thought it was multiverses mm-hmm. which to me concedes that the Doctor's aware that's a concept right yeah. and she's been to parallel universes before she saw the Solitract in series 11 yeah. Age of Steel etc 
she then goes, no, it can't be. That to me, why would you stop bringing up concepts of parallel universes? You know, why would you, why would you, and now we've had this, I think it's interesting that Orphan 55 ends in a way of, this is one of many possible futures. Yes. And I like the idea, and I don't think that Jack was from a parallel universe, and I doubt these will be, um, they're obviously not Lumix Cybermen, but I think you could tie this all together in a way to say, because Gallifrey itself is in a pocket universe still, isn't it? At the end of Heaven Sent. It's protected, etc. Who's not to say that what really happened on Gallifrey was they're just shattering the boundaries of the universe? And so you've got this doctor bleeding through. You've got all these other things mm. bleeding through. Maybe the master. I've got this suspicion the master's from a parallel universe. That would clean up a lot of stuff, wouldn't it? Because it would still maintain Missy's final end that she redeemed herself. But we'd still get the master, wouldn't we? And yeah. this, this master could, in fact, just cross over from that parallel earth and then stay here. Um, and also, like, who's to say he doesn't end up in cahoots with this kind of evil doctor? Because I do, I do think some of the things she did were reprehensible. She lets, um, is it Gat? Yeah. Get killed. And like, she murders her. And I know the Doctor's done some bad things, but there's just, there's elements to this character, this version of the Doctor, which I feel like they're hanging a lantern on the fact that this is, this is off kilter and not in a way that, like, because obviously we've seen that rumour that she could be before Hartnell. I don't fe- feel like if she is before Hartnell and she kind of moulds into this heroic figure, this heroic Doctor, that that's really excusable. I don't think I necessarily think over that she killed that companion, or she let him die rather. I don't necessarily think that it's inexcusable. More, it's just not interesting. It's not interesting. It's lazy. But, 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 I, but I just, I just, I think it would be really weird, and I think it'd be a tough pill to swallow that this doctor who's who's immoral just grows into Hartnell. If that's really where they're going. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> do, do, do you see what I mean? No. Like, I... It, it, it's weird. Whereas I feel like it, it makes much more sense, and it's also, as you say, more interesting if it's. Uh, a doctor that's been running parallel in another dimension. So this is the equivalent of like the Jodie Whittaker, the thirteenth, and she's had a load of different regenerations, and her path has div- diverged in some way. She never got a sonic screwdriver. She instead picked up a gun. She treats her companions like servants. I think that's a really interesting characterization. And also, it's the one thing from that whole parallel Earth uh, arc that we got in series two that I didn't really explore because I remember as a kid thinking when we went to that parallel Earth, well, where's the parallel Doctor? Exactly, and it's something that you could heal quite well with storytelling, do you know what I mean? Because you could just come in at it from an angle of, oh, well, the universe is falling apart, yada, 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 mm. cracking time kind of thing. Hey, I fixed it, and that allows for all these cool ideas to exist while simultaneously not pissing off fans. And not yeah. that it's, sometimes you have to do risky things, you have to piss off fans. I'm sure, you know, the War Doctor inherently is something that can piss off well, fans. as well, isn't it? The War Doctor, we've already done the... Secret Doctor between the regenerations. So if it turns out that she's before Hartnell or indeed in between a regeneration, that's the exact same reveal again. I don't think Chibnall's that kind of writer. I think he's going to give us something a little bit different. I hope so anyway. Uh, I, I hope, hope it's parallel Earth. I hope so. And I think the amount of ideas that have been thrown at the wall this season. I mean, this is the age-old question, isn't it? Does Hellbent existing mm-hmm. make Heaven Sent worse? I don't think so. So does if this if this finale is god awful, does that make Fugitive of the Jadoon worse? I think I think it's different because Heaven Sent exists as its own romp. You know, a, a, apart from the end point where he says, "Oh, you know, to that kid, tell Gallifrey I'm here," blah blah blah, blah whatever. Um, Hybrid is me. <laughs> but you know, apart from all that stuff, it, it exists as like this this romp this this. You know, horror labyrinth that he has to try and escape from and then the resol- resolutions all tight and also it's really more about the aftermath of losing Clara isn't it um, whereas this is all dependent on where do we go next when are we going to see Ruth again slash the Doctor 
when are we going to see the master factory and when are we going to see Jack again? Do you know what I mean? What, what's the timeless child? Um, all of those questions are running through this episode and they'll run into the finale. So I feel like it's a, it's a different kettle of fish. How would you feel if the rest of these episodes were all like arc heavy? Because I, it, it'd almost be something... I mean, I guess series six comes closest, but it'd be, it would almost be mm. something we've not done before because that would be... I. I, I I know you're a bigger defender of Series 6 than me, and you know, to be honest, it, it does rank quite higher and higher for me every time I watch it, but I've always found it a bit jarring, especially because the series was split in two, mm. so it basically has two big arc things and arc-based finales that then go, now let's jot off on adventures, that's which I get is the Doctor's been... distracted it himself. But... Yes, well that's always been the problem I've had with Series 6, and just the idea of doing an arc heavy series of Doctor Who, I feel like they always try and have their cake and eat it, you know, if you want to go with the Rusty Davies model where... We start off with a little bit of a light arc and then it seems like random adventures and then by the end it all ties together. That works very well because you get your Monster of the Week stories but you also get something running running through. Um, and I think Moffat does that really well with Series 8 because they all feel like standalone stories and the actual arc that you're going through with that one is more between the Doctor and Clara, isn't it? And Clara and Danny Pink. Yes. Um, and then the Missy, Missy is kind of just in the background teased. And that that's one of the, the better structured uh, Moffat series, I think. This one, it does the exact same trick they do in the Day of the Moon, uh, or Day of the Moon, sorry, where they've had this big arc-heavy story, and at the end the Doctor's like, well, we could follow that up, or we could just go off on a random adventure. Who's up for some adventures? And this one, it's like, oh, the TARDIS has distracted me with these things that are going off. Shall we go and check it out? It's like, yeah, sure. It's like, oh, I mean, that's exactly what the audience doesn't want to see, isn't it? I know Doctor Who's gotten accustomed to doing random uh, stories that are one and done, but if we're going to go arc-heavy... Let's just do it. Let's just give it a go one year. But I must say, I must say, is the idea that this is a distraction going to feed into this story? Like, what if Jodie Whittaker can't perform as well in this story because she's distracted by all the events that have just happened or something? You know, that can would be you, interesting. Because that's that's to me is how what should be happening in an ideal world is that the events that you're seeing in these mythology episodes is impact character. So um, I know you didn't watch it, but for example, in Fringe, they had this iconic. It's probably the best episode of the show. Um, arc episode called Peter in series two where basically um, the, the central I mean you know the show's not all so old now it's not really a spoiler and basically the premise has always been um, you know that um, the there's two central characters one's a scientist and one's the scientist's son and you know that like the son there's something not quite there because you saw the mm. son's grave at the end of um, the first series and you're like what is it and then they do this flashback episode and it turns out basically the dad perfected like crossing between parallel worlds and nicked a parallel version of his basically his son was terminally oh, ill. Okay. His son was terminally ill, and he went into a parallel world, right, mm. and nicked that version of their son. Oh, that's cool. But then, of course, the parallel version of him clocked what had happened, so he was trying to perfect a way to cross universes, and that's the whole basis, the whole fallout of the rest of the series that you find out is that all the actions that have happened leading up to that mm. are as a consequence of that. However, you, that doesn't come to the forefront until the finale, but between then you've got about five episodes and they're all where basically he's making wrong calls. The scientist, the dad, um, Walter Bishop, mm. is making these wrong calls and he's distracted and he's in his own head and all the other characters are like, why are you being like this? And he's like, oh, I can't tell you, kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And then it all comes to the forefront in the finale. Right. That's how I would kind of like to see this series go is Jodie Whittaker keeps making almost mistakes yeah. or she keeps treating her companions a bit shittily like she did at the end of this episode and you see that. And then in the finale, it all kind of comes together. I think that's yeah. a way to kind of meld the two well, I don't, quite well. I don't well. think arc heavy means it has to be, we're on the hunt for the master. Episode two, we're still hunting for the master. Episode three, we're still hunting for the master. I, I, I get what you're saying in terms of they can still go to other planets and there's different threats. Um, but what was indicated by the end of this episode feels very much to me like what Day of the Moon is to Curse of the Black Spot, where we just go off on a complete tangent. And it's like, well, 
do we not care about finding River Song? Because that seems like a a mahusive deal, doesn't it? When yeah. you want to like, try and find her. Um, and it seems like a similar thing again. Because because Ruth just drops her off. I keep calling her Ruth. The, the other doctor yeah. just drops her off, doesn't she? Yes, she does. Why it... is she not like, no, we need to find out, we need to work out what's wrong here. But it's, then maybe... it's a very Doctor Who thing to do, isn't it? In terms of the, the makeup of the show of, well, the arc's done here now. We, we, it's, t- it's time for the end of the episode. So now I have to go back to adventuring. Do you think she actually knows? Because the Doctor inherently would be curious about something like that. So do you think she actually doesn't know what's up? I could see her having an inclination that she's parallel universe, but needs more time to, to sort of corroborate her yeah. senses. Because if she's only just regained her memories, maybe she knows she hid herself in a parallel universe. Do you know, you know what I'm well, I liked the thing that you mentioned to me earlier, where it's like the apparently the Earths have kind of, or the universes have bled together. So Whitaker and the Roof Doctor both don't realise that their, their, their universes have collided. That's why they both think they're the Doctor in their own universe. Got but you. it turns out it's two universes in one. I mean, this won't happen, but can you imagine if everything you've seen from Series 11 onwards took place in the parallel universe? I was wondering about that. What, like, so Whitaker's the the not Doctor, and then we find out that Roof is the one that follows on from Al Capaldi kind of thing. No, I'm going the other way around. Or when the TARDIS went all to shit in the end of Twice Upon a Time, she went through a parallel universe, and everything you've seen up until this point is just like, her in a completely different well, time. So that's why I like Torchwood and Unit have gone. And all this other stuff. I don't think it's good, I'm just saying it'd be... I don't, oh, I don't think it's necessarily bad, I think that'd be interesting. It'd just be a cool um, reveal, like, oh, we've been watching this thing and our version of Earth is just slightly off. Well, also, um, I'm wondering if Yaz is going to be revealed to be not quite right, because in the first episode there's that bit where she gets captured, doesn't she? Yeah. And all the other spies had all their DNA changed. I remember when we first watched it, we were wondering, oh, was something happened to her? She had her DNA changed? And then she just Maybe came back. now that we're midway into the season, I'm starting to think, no, she was fine. It just seems a weird thing to do. I mean, these things have come out of nowhere. Almost people yeah. just drops that Amy has been um, done. I think it's interesting seeing what the rest of these writing lineups actually are for this series, mm. because that was by Vinay Patel, who wrote Demons of the Punjab, which, I mean, a lot of people did like. I didn't like it. I thought, yeah, no, it... it well, I mean, we, we've covered it a few times now, haven't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not... like it. But well, I thought this week, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Next time his name's on something, if he was on Series 13 writing team, I'd be like, I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And we got Peter McTee last week, the, next week, who wrote Kablam. So this could be interesting, because I thought that was one of the better stories of Series 11. And yes. if the quality level has upped since Series 11, maybe Peter McTee's going to give us a great story. And then we've got two unknowns. And who knows? I, be I new... do have more faith. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. I think this series has had a tighter vision. I think it's been bolder. I think it's more daring. If it can end on a high note and there's a lot of promise for series 13, I'm thinking maybe we'll keep going towards greatness. So you, almost weirdly, because I feel like Moffat and Davies knocked it out of the park from the get-go. Yeah. And then their series is, I think, <laughs> actually Davies less so, but Moffat's series, I think, just you know, with the Renaissance under Capaldi, but under each Doctor, Moffat's season's got slightly worse, didn't they? Yeah. And I think Series 2 is a bit of a sophomore slump, even though I think it gets unfairly slated. There are aspects of like Tennant's yeah. character that aren't there. If this gets better every year, you say about like Series 13, 14, we could be getting some absolute... Well, I mean, if they do carry on these kind of threads for that long and more surprises come along and 
the characterization for every character gets fleshed out further and further then I don't see why not it's just strange isn't it because we're so used to series 1 series 5 the first series of each respective showrunner being the best as you say and then if you count 8 as a reboot that's one of the best series of the yes show. it is um, but I, I can't help but wonder if the goodwill that was lost from series 11 being shit um, felt by both of us um, has kind of squandered the potential of this series because I, I feel like a lot of people I've seen on Twitter have been saying oh I'm not watching it should I bother anymore or you know uh, I thought the last series was shit is this series still shit and it's like well if, if a lot of these ideas were being played with in the last series I would have felt a lot more confident about the Chibnall era could you imagine if Jack had popped up how he did and if Ruth had popped up how she did and we'd gotten the master and we more importantly if last season we'd have gotten what does the Doctor do when she's not with the companions? What's haunting her? What's coming for her? That would have made her more interesting. I mean, you can go back to the very first look who's talking we did for series 11. I really liked The Woman Who Fell to Earth. I thought it showed a lot of promise. Mm. They squandered that promise, you know. And so if The Woman of Earth had happened and then we'd have had, like, these kind of stories, as you say, that would have been a really good series. It's only the fact that you had this really interesting back-to-basics approach and The Woman Who Fell to Earth, to me, felt very fresh and very new and had a distinct vision. Mm. And the rest of the series felt like it was just a identikit, like, kind of, if someone who hadn't really watched the show roughly described to be a series yeah. is what Series 11 was. Yeah. What would you give this episode on a full fat milking? I realise as well we haven't done the rankings for the Zoomilks uh, on episode 3 or 4. I don't think we did, anyway. Um, no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I gave Orphan 55 a skimmed. Um, so did we just miss out last week? Yeah, which, I, to be honest, I, now I think about it, I, I gave a close to full fat, but probably a semi. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd sit it in between. This is the problem with this three-point ranking system, isn't it? I'd give it a half, a semi-skimmed and a half. It's like between semi-skimmed and full fat. Is that, I would say so, <laughs> is that yeah. Um, yeah, then I'd give this one a full fat milk. Yeah, I think I think whether I watch it again will very heavily depend on, and it's 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 an issue that I think I have with Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon that I feel like you enjoy Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon in their own right, regardless of all the kind of stuff that didn't go anywhere. Mm. Whereas for me, like I I have I am hoping that I don't have the same opinion that I have for those two stories, which is if it all squanders, do I enjoy watching it? Not really, because I watch it and I go. This is really well executed, but I know it goes. It doesn't yeah. go anywhere, and this is well executed, and I I know it doesn't go anywhere, and I would just like to hope that this episode, even if it's disappointing, mm. it isn't so awful that I I consider it the episode that started the thing that brought the series down. Do you think Jack's going to come back this season? No, I don't I think either. If he, I think if he does, <laughs> the only thing I could see is yeah. is they had him in a studio a lot for a day. Yeah. Do does he come back via a transmission link or something, a la in Journey's End? Because mm. yeah, because if he does come back this season, he can't be in any exterior scenes, no. can he? Because it would have it would have come out, it would have leaked. Yeah, um, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword, isn't it? Because maintaining the surprise meant they had to shoot it the way they did, which was awesome that they maintained the surprise. It wasn't like John Sim all over again, but at the same time, I do kind of want him to just pop up substantially this year. I don't have to wait. To 2021 to see my Captain Jack back. I mean, I'll be very sad if Sasha Dewan doesn't come back as well. I'd be very surprised if Sasha Dewan doesn't come back. I'm just hoping it's not just they keep using him in flashbacks going, everything you knew was a lie, like I want him there in the finale. Well, maybe we should place bets on whether or not these characters will be in the finale. 
I I think I think it's odd to set up the seed with the lone Cybermen. Yeah. And then just not bring that into the finale. But maybe maybe again, maybe it's something that I'm not used to, for example. So maybe this, they're sowing the seed for episode eight into episode five. That's kinda cool. I suppose I don't want the finale to be too overstuffed, so I think no Cybermen in the finale. But what happens with the Cybermen leads into the right, finale. So if I if I list you off a series of names, yeah. you can tell me if you think they're gonna be in the finale. Yeah. The Doctor. Uh most likely, yes. The Doctor. Uh the Roof Doctor. Well, yeah, but she's not the Roof Doctor. Okay, but yeah, the Doctor, yeah. <laughs> um, the, but, all three companions. Uh, yeah. Sasha Juan's master. You know what? I'm going to say no. I think he's going to... I think he, I, I don't think he'll be prominent. I think he'll be there in the background, but okay. I don't think he'll... He will be there, but I just don't think he'll be prominent. There's something about it. I just don't see him being there. Razalon. Oh, I hope not. Catch Jack Harkness. Only by interior transmission link, not running around with the Doctor. Okay. Um, the guy in Fear that says he's reporting you to the council. I fucking hope so. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, the Pating. <laughs> I fucking hope not. <laughs> now, what would you do if the Timeless Child was the Pating? Uh, I'd stop watching no, until Chibnall... Chibnall changed hands. <laughs> but it was like, Chibnall, <laughs> Chibnall was like, that's my, like, the long game from Series 1. Like, I wanted to set up the idea of the Pating and then, like, show you... <laughs> Is he going to be like George Lucas? Like the Pating's the key to all this. Yeah. Um. I would. I would never want to see the Pating rear its ugly head ever again. That's the kind of thing, though, that if I was showing Ch- Dot Who, I would always take it as a challenge to make the Pating good and bring it back. Yeah. Because you imagine it in pro- photos. I do what you know what actually clever marketing this week. Yeah. The first pic you ever saw of this series yeah. was the fucking Jadoon, wasn't it? And do you remember when we saw that and it came out and we were like eye rolling, like, oh Jesus. Christ. Yeah. Like, this is going to be so lame. And if you'd have told me at the start of the season that I'd end up loving Fugitive of the Jadoon, mm. I'd have laughed me head off. So, you know what? If I were to take over and make the Pating good, all my press pictures would be like, the Doctor's facing one of their deadliest enemies, the Pating. I know how much you love the Pating, da da da, and then drop this <laughs> absolute corker of an episode. <laughs> I don't know how you'd make the Pating good, is the issue. Uh, I don't know. It's it's much easier than Jadoon, isn't it? Because they're inherently a bit more interesting. Like Joe, space Cole, police. Low, Cole, blow. That's uh, my Jadoon impression. Pop a job, ho, ma ho. Is that a, <laughs> is that David Tennant yeah, talking yeah, to them when they're in the Shadow Proclamation? <laughs> wow, we're that lame, aren't we? I actually did that, and you knew what I was referencing in Jadoon. But it's the way that you did the ma ho. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what he does. It was a pitch perfect Tennant impression. Wasn't yeah, it really it was. Um, yeah, you know, what, just for fun, since you've said that, I'm going to say that Captain Jack is going to come back in the finale, and and the Master as well in prominent roles, and. That that old guy's gonna be the Black Guardian. Why not? Let's let's play some bets. I'm, uh, gonna, I'm gonna do a Howard Ratner. <laughs> I really it's don't. The dumbest bet I ever heard. I don't I disagree, Gary. <laughs> I disagree. I don't think. I honestly, I don't envision a scenario where that's the Black Guardian. I think that's too much. Uh, and I, I I think he's been smart to make the law stuff accessible. And I think dropping the Black Guardian out of nowhere in an episode that's 50 minutes long. Well, you say that, but like you gotta remember. The last time we saw the chameleon arc, that was well over ten years ago. Like we 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 know all that stuff because that's the, who we grew up on. If you're a kid watching this, I do wonder if you'd be confused by all of that. I guess. I guess it's essentially a classic callback now, isn't it? Because if if you're ten years old watching Doctor Who, the David Tennant era is is classic Who. I just think how do you? It's that same issue of that, and like it comes back to why Russell T Davies didn't really de- decided to destroy Gallifrey in the first place. It's because mm. it, it's it's 
bloody complicated mm. when you bring it back because you have mm. all this crap. Like they've never done Rassilon. I mean, I don't, I'm more like Rassilon in all honesty as like a mythical figure, like he is in the Five Doctors that I do as a fully fledged character. Do you know what I mean? The epic fan of Gal- Gal- Gallifrey. I quite like him in End of Time. He's all right, but do you know what I mean? Like once you start adding in all these Time Lords, I think it gets a bit law heavy, and I think like the Black Guardian, the White Guardian, to just introduce them in the finale. When I mean the best Black Guardian and White Guardian stories are the Peter Davidson. Uh, this is probably gonna get a load of uh, hate because I know people quite <laughs> like the key to time with fourth with the fourth Doctor. But again, both their iterations are the Black Guardians in it for three episodes, three stories, so about twelve episodes. And he's in it for a whole series under Tom Baker. So it's like you've got you've got enough time to kind of make mm. establish their importance. I think we've already got all this stuff like the Timeless Child, etc., thrown at you to throw in a character like characters with such a dense kind of history and, and relationship with the show would be a misfire when you could save them for series 13 okay but what if akin to what we were saying about jack this black guardian shows up in episode seven and gives a cryptic tease and we understand that it's the black guardian and then we don't see him until series 13 I'd, I'd be happy for that that would be interesting wouldn't it yeah that'd be more interesting than because at the moment the fact she's like the master jack the cybermen Roof, they're all following me. I'm a bit like, oh no, is this going to be like a clip show episode? It's be like Rat Race. Yeah. No. I honestly would be okay with all this stuff kind of feeding into a later series as long as you don't have to wait over a year to get it. If it's like, oh yeah, we'll find out all this stuff in Series 13 and then they announce Series 13 is not coming to like 2022 or the arse end of 2021. I, I think we'll be getting Series 13 in about September 2021. Because no, no, but this is this is. We didn't have to wait that long between series eleven and twelve. It was only like an extra month or two when you actually think about it. I know, but I just think right. You got the sixtieth anniversary mm-hmm. in twenty in twenty twenty three, haven't you? Mm-hmm. It's also got Who's fortieth season in season fourteen, so that's a monumental event as well. My thinking is: Are they going to wrap it all together? into one big bow and try and be like we're dropping series 14 and a special you know and the 40th uh, series of Doctor Who we're gonna we're gonna drop this all together do you know what I mean like mm. is that are they gonna try and play it that way just to kind of give us this you know all singing all dancing year in 2023 or are they gonna give us as I think you would prefer basically I don't think we'll either get series 14 in the same mm. year as the 60th or we won't get a series fifteen in the year of the sixtieth. I don't think. I don't I, I think. I'd rather have no season the year of the anniversary because, from what we saw before, it it screwed over that series. And I'd rather have. I'd rather they just keep making them annually, and then let's cross the bridge of twenty twenty three when we come to it. I, I hope they don't start scheduling, you know, so that they can get series fourteen into that year because I don't think it means it's going to be a good series. No, series I, seven sucked because Moffat's energy was split onto that. Uh, anniversary special Day of the Doctor I'm not saying what I think would be good I'm saying what yeah I think is is the kind of thing that could kind of happen do you know what I mean I sincerely hope not no I do <laughs> I, I do. sincerely hope not um, but no I do get where you're coming from we've not really got an annual who for so long now have we no not at all and I think it's been made very apparent that like they're struggling more and more and more with the um, with the the ability to produce it to the standard that they want to produce it in a mm. year. And um, as much as we didn't really get a delay this year, really, when you think about it. They made it seem like it was going to be, which was, which was really just shooting themselves in the foot because 
when we found out it was delayed till 2020, we were like, oh, for God's sake, two years. Didn't end up being two years at all, did it? It was a year and a few extra it months. Feel, it feels like it's come back a year later, even though it's been slightly longer. Yeah, it's a few months. It's yeah. a few months. And actually, when you think about when the last episode aired, it's a year since we had Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, they've got a special already lined up for this coming Christmas, though, which is good. We don't know good. if it's Christmas or New Year. Yeah, we New Year, I think. But um, back the Christmas special. It's um, apparently it features the Daleks. I'm quite happy, you know. Oh, to is that remove... the Clifton Suspension Bridge yeah. stuff that they're filming? Yeah. But I'm quite happy for them to not use the Daleks in the main series and save them for specials. That that doesn't impact me really. I don't know. I don't know with the Daleks. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I do like seeing them, but I mean, I feel like the same thing with Cybermen. Like we see them so often now. Yeah. But then they say they're going to retire them. They don't really, do they? They retire them by not having them for like literally a season, and then they'll be back the year after. It's like it's not really retiring them. But imagine if we hadn't seen the Daleks for like five years and they came back. That'd that's be incredible. that's what's kind of cool about the Master, really, because there's so much space breathing room between their appearances that mm. it always makes you go, "Oh shit!" I mean, yeah. obviously Missy, but the reveal of Missy, and then you can bring it back in a new incarnation. Whereas the Daleks, it's always like they're back, and they always have some new gimmick. This is probably the closest between Masters changing in New Who, anyway. Yeah. It's only been a season out, hasn't it? It was the end of Series 10, start of Series 12. Yeah. yeah but it feels like long ago because we had the year gap. It really we? annoys you, doesn't it, that Smith never got a Master? Oh, to no end, to no end. Also, now that Jack's back, it bothers me that Smith and Capaldi never got to meet Jack. Because imagine that. Capaldi with Jack, especially. Like, I don't... Oh, I'm not really like... I'm not really like, oh, Smith, because it would have been quite a similar dynamic to Tennant, whereas Capaldi being like, shut up, and stuff, I would have really killed for. Yeah. Um, Smith got to meet Sarah Jane, though. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I haven't seen that Sarah Jane adventure. It's it fun. Good? He doesn't have as much chemistry with Elizabeth Sladen as David Tennant. Mm. And I think the decision to include Joe Grant in it as a returning... Oh yeah, catch yeah. as well. It feels all rushed and all over the place. Is um, it? I think I remember seeing the clip in that story. Doesn't he reveal that he didn't just see his tenant companions at the end of time? He saw like every single companion ever, but we just don't see it. Yeah, it's kind of lame. Yeah, it's just a bit like ugh, a bit fan wanky. Yeah, but also, did he go and see Jamie McCrinnan? Do you know what I mean? Like and things like that. Like I hope so. Bit... He said every companion. You know, I really... you're not calling him a liar, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I love. You know, what I love about his departure. Um, you know, you know the end of War Games. Um, mm. They obviously they're like, oh, we're going to force regenerate you, and we'll drop your companions off just where they left off, and they won't remember anything. Mm. So Jamie undergoes this entire like character development the whole mm. way through, becomes like really, really like well, like he still believes in the doctrine, kind of this like, oh, he's a mystical man, but yeah, you know what I mean? He's yeah. probably like his most longest travelled companion. And they drop him off out of nowhere and someone just shoots at him and he's like ah you bloody and he's back in the Highlander times and it's just so weird because like that's so sad that he became this like really developed character yeah. and they erase all of that and he's just like why I order and like chases after them it's such a, it's such a sad ending for him yeah it is isn't it because the doctor showed him this world that he never ever could have seen well, and then he's just akin to Donna isn't it it is yeah but it's almost sadder because you just see him just like snap dropped in there and he's got no memory Oh, right, so he's actually, like, regressed, isn't he? Yeah, he's just, like, everything that he develops. I mean, in the first the first time he takes him to space, Jamie thinks, like, it's the Sideman story of the Moonbase, and Jamie thinks that the Sidemen are, like, the Phantom Piper, like a Scottish legend. And it's only, like, as he travels more with the Doctor, right. he becomes more intelligent and, like, etc. So it's weird, then, seeing that regression in war games. I do like it when Doctor Who is bitterly sad, though. Yeah, it makes, I do. It makes it what it is. 
Do you think that's enough chit chat for now, Mr. Crystal Cell? Um, I don't think there's ever enough chit chat between me and you. If I could record this podcast for twenty four hours, then uh, <laughs> I would. Um, I, before we go, I would like to plug our socials because we never do it. No, I don't we know why we don't. Well, last year we had Mr. Harry Funny Man on, didn't we? And he was he was laughing us up a storm, so we didn't get time to. But should we should we do that? Yeah, I think so. My letterboxed is at Full Fat Videos, and Chris, yours is Chris Wizard, I believe. Uh, yeah, um, it is sadly Chris Wizard. I don't really know why. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Full Fat Videos, and then I believe Instagram is Full Fat Video. But with it's Full Fat Videos, but with underscores in between, um, full underscore fat underscore videos. Right, okay, so just to be clear, Twitter at Full Fat Videos, Instagram full underscore fat underscore videos. Yeah. Right, and if you'd like to see that image we spoke about last week of Chris in the Joker vest, then you'll find it on Instagram. And if you'd like to see us inflict more of our opinions on you, you can find that on Twitter. And if you'd like to see what films we've watched, you can find that on Letterboxd. And uh, I've been Chris Fussell, and I'll be seeing you next time, as you'll be seeing me. We'll be seeing each other. Goodbye. (laughs) 